I'm Libby Rothschild, former clinical dietitian who transformed into a full-time virtual business owner. It was only one year ago when I made $55,000 a year in my clinical job. And now I make $100,000 a month being my own boss. And you can do this too. My clients, who are all female dietitians and students, started from zero and created six-figure, multi-six-figure businesses by following my proven method. And they've all been guests on air. My proven method shows you how to attract cash paying clients using social media marketing strategies that work. You don't have to guess, waste time, or hold yourself back when you follow my step-by-step method. Amy Plano, the reimbursement dietitian and fellow dietitian boss, is a successful private practice dietitian passionate about helping dietitians create a profitable nutrition private practice using an insurance-based model. Together with her husband, Mark Plano, she runs the Profitable The Plano Program, a health and wellness-based center in Orange, Connecticut. Through both her one-on-one and group-based coaching programs, online resources, and seminars, she teaches dietitians exactly how to use health insurance to make serious money in their nutrition practices. Amy, I am so happy to have you here today talking all things licensure and dietitians and a lot of common questions that you and I have discussed off air. So I'm really happy for us to dive in today. Welcome to today's show. All right, Amy, in your words, can you break down licensure and meetings that you attend? Because I know you're really involved with the academy, so I'd really love to hear your perspective. Yeah, so the way that we look at licensure is it can kind of be seen on three different levels, all always dictated by the state in which we live. So the state agency issues the license, they issue the certificate, as well as the language surrounding licensure. So Licensure is always issued on a state level, and the way that licensure works is it simply means an individual who has met specific qualifications to practice in a particular profession. Within licensure for each state, we often have two pieces. We have title protection, which simply means it prevents unlicensed individuals from calling themselves dietitians or registered dietitians. And then we have what's called title, I'm sorry, then we have what's called practice exclusivity. Practice exclusivity refers to the fact that not only can you not call yourself a dietitian, only dietitians within within the state, if licensure is in effect, can actually provide the service. So if you are not licensed in a particular state and it requires licensure and it has the clause of practice exclusivity, it means that you're not able to provide service to an individual that lives in the state. From a dietitian standpoint, and the way that licensure works is the licensure rules always follow where the patient is located, okay? So independent of where the RDN is, the patient's location determines the scope in terms of the licensure. So say, for example, I'm a dietitian in Connecticut, and I get a call from a patient in New Jersey, New Jersey is a licensure state with title protection and practice exclusivity. So that means if I want to provide medical nutrition therapy to an individual in New Jersey, I would have to have a particular, I would have to have a license to practice nutrition in New Jersey. So I think it gets a little, the easiest way for dietitians to think about licensure is always think about it where the patient is located, okay? So so once again, as dietitians, when we look on the map issued by the academy, 
historically speaking, the states that are red are states where licensure is in effect. What makes it even a little bit more confusing is that even within the states that are red that have licensure, because licensure is implemented on a state level, the rules regarding licensure can vary from state to state. So not only as dietitians do we have to contend with the fact that some states are licensure and some are not, there's also different rules and regulations regarding licensure in each, each of the states. So, and then one of the position that I sit on with the academy is I am the reimbursement rep for the state of Connecticut. So I serve on the board with, you know, probably we have 38 other members in Connecticut. And so they obviously represent various positions. In Connecticut, Connecticut is a certificate state. And so what that means is that the state of Connecticut under the Department of Health issues a certificate saying that dietitians are certified within our scope of practice to deliver certain a certain skill set with medical nutrition therapy. So most of the dietitians in Connecticut, if they practice within insurance, are required to have a license. So even though Connecticut is not a licensure state, if you participate with insurance, you're required to seek out a license with the Department of Health. So within my role as the reimbursement rep, I attend multiple meetings, both on a national level and on a state level, mostly in regards to reimbursement. So most of my role um, is within expanding what we can provide from a reimbursement standpoint and on both a commercial and on, on a federal level with things like Medicare as well. So can, clarifying question here, Amy, just so I make sure I'm understanding this because you're the reimbursement queen. I am not. So just to make sure I got this right. In Connecticut, for example, that's where you reside. There's no licensure in the state, but you do have to have an extra certification, qualification, whatever loophole for insurance. Correct. Wow. Yeah. So it's, you know, so when you look at that angle, you know, there's no other way to examine that aside from a financial gain to the state, right? I mean, so so it, our state, if I want to take insurance, exists as if it is licensure. So yeah. I have to pay an initial fee. And then I think what's also important to identify in terms of licensure is there's usually renewal fees associated. So there's an up-cost fee Then every year in May I have to spend, you know, I have to, so yeah. So it's just one other loophole in addition. So it's, yeah, it makes it more challenging. And it will, of course, it makes it more challenging if you're not in a license, if your client is not living in a state that's licensed, but you are using insurance, then you have an extra loophole to go under or to, to pursue. I have no knowledge of, ins- of insurance with other states because I don't like work with insurance. I know you do. So does that mean that they're like what's going on in Connecticut? Is that similar with other states that might not have licensure like California, but they require an extra loophole for if you take insurance or is that? Yeah, just- no, that's actually a really good question. And as somebody who works with dietitians all over the United States, I'm able to see the varying degrees of that. And so for example, California, non-licensure, but in order to accept insurance, you don't have to. Okay. You yes, exactly. So it's very interesting. I mean, I think what dietitians have to understand is like there's so many layers to this whole licensure issue that it's, it's never cut and dry. And so aside from who has licensure, 
even when you start to kind of peel back the onion and the layers, it can become very complicated. And I have a lot of questions. I like questions. I like questions. If there's a lot of layers, how is that fair for the dietitian and how is that fair for the consumer? How does that help us make money and impact and how does that help the consumer find health? Yeah, and in all, in all honesty, I think the answer to that is I don't think that it does. And I think when we look at the purpose of a license, the main goal of a license is, is to quote unquote, air quotes, protect the public. And to protect the public from, you know, against people who are offering unevidence-based, non-validated, harmful advice. Okay, so that is the purpose of it. But it doesn't necessarily serve that purpose because it limits potentials for RDs in terms of providing services. So essentially, it, right, it, it decreases our earning potential. It adds a substantial layer of cost for dietitians because not only if you want to practice across different lines, you're going to have to have multiple licenses. So that can even be taken a layer further and say, okay, then that becomes, then then dietetics and working in private practice becomes somewhat cost prohibitive, right? I mean, so, because that's that's an extension of that. It also stifles RD innovation. So licensure scope, like kind of defines what we can and cannot do according to the scope of practice defined by the academy. So, you know, as dietitians, I know you and I and entrepreneurs, like we're here to innovate. And so licensure holds us back from doing that just by nature of the fact that licensure originates from our scope of practice. And if our scope of practice is limiting in nature, it's not a surprise that licensure is going to kind of smother us a little bit further. And then it's not uniform. So it doesn't necessarily help the consumer. I think it confuses the, the consumer even further because it doesn't define us as the experts. It also limits cons- consumer options. I mean, I just had an issue with this yesterday. I specialize in PCOS. I had a client reach out from Illinois. So now I have to find a specialist in Illinois that niches down just in PCOS. So it limits who consumers can choose. And then we have to ask the question, and I don't know the answer to this, how does it really protect the public? Who's enforcing it? I think there's so many layers that we have to consider, none of which tend to be in our favor as dietitians. Right. And also Illinois is a red state, right? So it's Illinois is a red state. So licensure state. Yeah. So yeah. So that would be a good example to use. Connecticut based dietitian patient resides in Illinois licensure state, therefore requires me to hold the license in Illinois if I want to provide services to that patient. It's a math problem, right? It is a math problem, and it's like not a fun problem to have because, yeah, because, it, does, <laughs> because it doesn't equal it doesn't equal money and impact, right? Exactly, exactly. Which is what we want to see dietitians, you know, accomplishing. It's just Absolutely. it's like strangling. It's like this bottleneck that creates us from advancing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm with you on that. And so then what's your stance on deciding to claim yourself as a coach versus dietitian, considering our choices and the the discussion we just had about licensure? Yeah. And I think for me as an insurance-based provider, my response is different than the average RD. So for me, my audience, so who I'm selling to influences what I refer to myself as. And I think we also have to delineate service and talk about that, what that actually means. So in order for me to accept insurance, I have to hold a license. And so, you know, if I refer to myself as a dietitian, 
only licensed dietitians in Connecticut are able to accept insurance, right? So there's, there's kind of like this pretty simple algorithm that I personally, if I didn't call myself a dietitian, then I would not be able to provide the service that I'm providing. Yeah. So, so this is really based on your scope because of your scope yes. of practice. So again, you're speaking as the reimbursement dietitian who takes insurance and who helps dietitians take insurance. Your stance is to understand and, and, and double down on what these restrictions are and, and make sure you're following suit because that is your scope of practice and you are practicing within that. Yes. However, I have dual roles, right? So I think it's important to under exactly what you're saying is to understand your scope and who you're speaking to, because I'm also a coach to dietitians. So I coach dietitians how to get credentialed, how to bill insurance and make money. So I call myself a coach in that aspect, being both a noun and a verb, right? So what I do in the service I provide. So I think for most dietitians, we just have to consider our audience in the service that we're delivering when we define who we are. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. A lot to think about. And uh, I want to ask a few other questions. You know, I know you have a background in academics, but you've left that setting. Can you talk to us a little bit about why? Yeah, so I love that question. So for most of my career as a dietitian, I was in academia in some capacity. So I served in multiple roles, whether it be adjunct faculty or practitioner in residence. My last position was on the dietetics program director at a local university. So I think it's fair to say when assessing academia, I have a leg to stand on as if like I'm this, I've, I've spent at least probably 15 years. And so you know, one of the things that I found was that there's always this perceived notion in academia that the curriculum rears dietitians to be just clinical dietitians. It's, and for me, it's this very one-track thinking. And I have nothing wrong with clinical dietetics. And I personally feel there is a strong need for clinical dietetics. There's fabulous dietitians in nutrition support, oncology, renal, and our world is awesome because of them, right? I mean, like, it's like they make our field stronger, but there's a big but for me. And what about dietitians who don't want to go clinical? You know, how has this four years served them? And so I also have the premise of saying, you know, my premise is like, while I was teaching for those last 15 years, I was also running a highly profitable private practice and loving every second of it. So I was a living, breathing testament to everything my education didn't teach me, as well as what everything that dietitians were capable of doing, but just didn't know how. So every opportunity I got as an educator, I was constantly suggesting that we add alternative tracks or even concentrations within our programs that allowed students to have a say in where they ended up. And so some for some suggestions I had suggested, psychology tracks, minors in psych so we could do some behavioral piece. Because I personally felt that what we were asking our students academically was not serving them in the real world. Yep. In addition, they were hating every second of it. Like, as you know, I was an advisor to over 40 st students and they were miserable. So, and lastly, the curriculum that I was teaching, especially in the introductory courses, was so dated. And I used to personally omit certain sections, if not whole chapters, you know, when I was teaching. 
because I personally felt that if there was no application of the information, I personally wasn't behind teaching. So one of the things that constantly happened is I constantly felt we were failing our students. The very humans we set out to serve, you know, when you go into academia, that, that's your audience. So every time I seemed to make suggestions and recommendations, they were constantly met by opposition for those senior to me within my department. And when I would discuss changes and actions I thought were necessary to advance our field, you know, they looked at me like I was crazy, like I was like a full-blown lunatic, rather than explore the possibilities that existed. So they were okay with the status quo, but I was not okay with status quo. I was not okay with dietitians being groomed for a path with little room for advancement, let alone money, right? I was tired of compromising my own integrity as a dietitian, and I quite frankly didn't want to surround myself with other people with a closed-minded mindset. So you know, especially when I knew everything that was possible. So, so when I left, you know, I left out of personal integrity and out of service to our profession. And I was very honest with the reasons for leavings. And I have to be honest with you, Libby, I lost respect for those dietitians, And I don't think that it's something I will ever get back. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's really powerful. And I love that you gave actionable steps as far as the tracks and what would, and I, I agree with you, like what would be a way to improve so that we can both be shown how, right? Solving for misinformation pain point and then have the support to do so. And then that the piece I love is seeing that other dietitians are doing it, right? Sure. Not just me and you teaching it, but that our you know clients are, are applying it and they're finding success and supporting other dietitians to go into private practice and seek opportunities beyond what we're taught and that outdated, you know, curriculum that hasn't been adjusted in 94 years. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. So I want to hear about your story about a $55,000 annual salary and uh, why you think dietitians accept this, I would consider low pay. By the way, that's how much I made in clinical. <laughs> I thought about that. As, yeah, let's talk about that. You know, the where that this conversation originated was back in was back in the university where I worked. And I was speaking to my department head one day and we were talking about salaries and what dietitians make. And if you can imagine, I likely elicited this conversation because you and I both know that women often feel uncomfortable talking about money, especially even with other women. So I had mentioned, you know, how I thought it was a tragedy and a disservice to our profession, how the low starting salaries were so low and did not line up with the investment that the students were putting in. And that many of the students were entering their career with a base pay of 50K and were paying over $1,000 worth of student loans. So my question to my department head was, how are these students supposed to live? How are they supposed to get ahead when they're riddled with debt with a low salary income expectations. Like, I remember the moment having this conversation. I remember what I was wearing because her response was something to the effect of, Amy, do you know how many students would be grateful to be making that kind of money? And I felt like I was like being punked, like Ashton Kusher was going to like jump out. And I was like, that kind of money I responded. And I like wanted to throw up in my mouth, but I kind of wanted to throw up on her. Because this type of mindset is the exact reason why dietitians are so grossly underpaid, is that people are refused to give themselves permission to become wealthy and step into the life that they really should be living. And so it, you shouldn't be surprised 
when we have RDs in positions of power, like my department head, in positions of influence that students look up to modeling this perception of reality. And so when somebody like, you know, my department head clings to this limiting belief, it not only hurts them, it also hurts the people in which we serve. So I personally feel like the thoughts, the, the beliefs and the emotions that we consciously acknowledge, if we don't accept them, then we're unconsciously denying them. So I think for most people, it's this concept that we've been taught something and that's all that we know. You know, I can't remember a single class undergrad that we even like that even salary was mentioned. Like in, even when I look at the curriculum, I mean, so it's like we're it's it just blows my mind that money is not part of this conversation. Yeah, I, I mean, it's starting to be, but it's still it's still not as much as it could be. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, it's a problem. You know, people need to know what they're signing up for. Yeah. And do you have any specific solutions that you suggest for that? I think that, you know, I think, you know, we have to change it on a, on a curriculum level. Yeah. And I personally feel like one of the things we, we need to do is we, we number one, need to de-emphasize the clinical nature of dietetics. When I went back and I looked at the core competencies that right now dietitians are forced to meet, every single outcome and every single skill that is to be demonstrated by dietitians is solely related to working in a clinical environment. The part that is even more mind-blowing is that the current curriculum only addresses working in institutions. And I'm not even just saying private practice. Everything is about working for somebody else and managing people within an institution. So, So not even within the future education model do we see this. So I personally feel like, you know, a way to kind of stop this is we need to stop trying to produce globally rounded dietitians and make room for more options. It's like making our students, you know, graduate with minimal, like they know a little bit about nothing, right? I mean, like they had to take a gazillion courses, but they don't have a, you know, a finite skill set. So I personally feel like the education needs to be more in tune with the student. And students should be able to play some type of role, you know, within their destiny. So things that I suggest would be having maybe some type of track. So maybe the students have two years banging out the core curriculum for a degree. So maybe like, you know, the histories, the social sciences and the math. And then maybe they have alternative options beyond that second year. So whether it be a community track, a functional track a behavioral track, a private practice track, a sport nutrition and, you know, personal training track, then either, you know, within that dietetics, you know what I mean? Then after they've completed those two years, either the experiences worked within those two years, obviously where they're getting supervised practice, or they have an additional year where they're specialized in that experimental learning. So within that direct track. So, because I really honestly feel that so many dietitians are coming out with like unworkable degrees and they're not too happy about it. Well, I think it's that they're not too happy about it years later. So they don't understand it and, until down the line. And that's what I think is important to have this conversation so that we can be proactive sooner, right? First in, in the curriculum and then also the skills that you learn and then the choices that you decide to make 
as a practitioner and even as a student, right? Because I'm all about getting started sooner. Absolutely. And, and I think it's our responsibility as dietitians and mentors to future dietitians to have them understand what is coming ahead. And so kind of whether it be within the academy having more mentorship programs where students get to understand what it's like to be a dietitian in the real world and what the real world looks like. I feel like so many of the skill sets that we teach students in academia, they don't translate out into the real world. And that to me is really sad because these educations are very expensive. And so I just don't feel, I feel like on some level we are, we are failing our students because they don't know what they don't know, right? I mean, it's like you and I trying to figure out accounting. Like we know the basics, but it would be more challenging for us to figure out, you know, the details. So we don't know what we don't know, but these students, you know, need a more deeper education to understand what is ahead of them because I don't think that they know and I don't think we're teaching them. Yeah, great points. And as far as a solution to teach them, how do we actually make that happen? You knew that was coming. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I I think we need to see progressive change. You know what I mean? Uh, And and like I said, my fantasy of those tracks, unfortunately, will never happen because right now we're in a situation where the academy is shifting gears entirely. So what is going to happen in 2024 is the academy is going to require a master's in order to become a registered dietitian. However, in addition to that master's, it's completely revamping the different levels of education. So within this future education model, and with this master's included, we're gonna have three separate standalone tiers that don't even really communicate with one another. So we're gonna have a new associate's degree where the individuals will graduate with an associate degree in nutrition and they'll get verification. The new bachelor's degree in this model will no longer prepare dietitians, no longer prepare students to become a dietitian. This new track will will prepare them to become diet techs. So and completely shift. And then it's the graduate level education with this required master's is where dietitians will will get the verification to sit for the RD exam. So there's three different layers to this future education model and the master's program that will be required for students sitting for the RD exam January 1st, 2024 and beyond will require that the student have a master's. And the student does not need to have a master's necessarily in nutrition or dietetics, it can be a master's in any area. Yeah, like um, basket weaving. Yeah, basket weaving, yes, yes. And But it's interesting that what is going to happen in addition to this is that the other models will not go away, okay? And so what I mean by that is, so we'll have this new model, and let me describe the model more in detail. So the graduate level degree now for nutrition and dietetics will include two pieces. So it will include the educational piece, and then it will also include the experimental learning. So the academy is saying rather than have a two-step process, which would be bachelor's, step one, internship, step two, 
Now we're just going to have a one-step process where students are able to get their, complete their internship and complete their education requirements. Yes. But what's very important for dietitians to know is that that is one option to become a dietitian. The other models will still exist. And what I mean by that is you can still go to a program that is verified by Ascend and then go and do a a dietetic internship. You will also still be able to do a coordinated program that would interweave the internship as well. However, if you did a coordinated program, therefore you would go and need to go and get a master's in addition to that. So the models that you and I both experience are not going away. We're just adding an additional model that combines the supervised learning experience with the education. So if our goal is to standardize the process of creating dietitians that are more uniform, we've complicated the process even further by throwing in an additional track. I know that that can be confusing, but yeah, it makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. And so of course this is only in, impacted for the, the dietitians, the new generation of dietitians, those like you and me who already have our degree and are already dietitians, but it's just something that we know for the future of our colleagues, but it doesn't directly impact us. Is that correct? That is correct. And it's just like, I scratch my head every time I try to understand this new model because the reason why they said that, they, that the academy created this new model was that the workforce did not have the skill set to keep up with the expansion of our profession. And so the academy felt that because of the increased focus on d- disease prevention, integrative health care, and more knowledge that was needed in genomics, telehealth, behavioral health, informatics, that we needed this new additional track. And I could get behind that if that was the only track and that was a standardized track. Yeah. But we're not solving that problem, which I don't even think was a problem to exist, but we're just creating, you know, another track and we're decreasing the, you know what I mean? Like there's too many tracks and it's, it's even more confusing now. Yeah. And And it's expensive. You know what I mean? I, I looked at, I'm like a glasses half full type of girl. I wanted in my heart of hearts to like love this future education model because I wanted to believe that there was going to be some type of change. And I wanted to believe that there would be some type of progression from where we are in dietetics now and where we're going. I took a very hard look at the curriculum and to me it looks like it was just lifted from our undergrad and just repackaged. There's not one area of the new curriculum that addresses business in its entirety of private practice. Not one competency. The competencies for business are all related, once again, to that one-track thinking that all dietitians are going to go clinical. And when I started to look at the prices of the current models that exist, I looked at three different examples I looked at the University of North Carolina, which would be the new future model with a master's in public health. I looked at Rutgers, and then I looked at the University of Pacific in Sacramento. Mm -hmm. UNC, in order to get that degree, 
$60,000 for a resident, $90,000 if you are a non-resident of North Carolina. Crazy. Rutgers, 60K just for tuition, plus another 20,000 in additional fees, and then the University of Sacramento. So yeah, I mean, like I just, I don't understand it. I want to understand it, and I want to be able to make sense of the madness, but I personally don't feel that this is going to advance our field for, you know, any further than it is now. I think it is going to be, I think it's further going to discriminate who can come into the field because I don't know who can afford $90,000, you know, after they, they've accumulated $100,000 in student loans for their undergrad. That piece blows me, blows my mind. I don't know, like, even when you write it on, out on paper, it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't make sense. So I, I agree with you, but I also want to talk about a solution. So mm-hmm. what, you know, what's your stance on with this higher barrier to enter the field, which is obviously there's a lot of issues there because then we're not diversifying our field and making it fair and reasonable uh, to practice if we're making it so difficult for the future generation of dietitians. Again, this is for the future generation. So Amy and I are talking in context of those who have not yet become a dietitian. What's the solution there? I mean, I don't think that the current model that we had, I don't, I personally don't feel that the model that we currently had wasn't serving the marketplace. So I don't personally feel when you look at the data that they were looking at, I feel personally that the model that we have right now serves the skill set that we need in our, in our field. But I think the curriculum at an undergrad level just need, you know, needs, needs to be adjusted. I personally don't see the advantage of having a master's in something that's not related to nutrition. So I personally, as somebody who was a preceptor in a major university-based hospital, like I didn't see that the skill set was broken. So for me personally, I think a better solution would be redefining the undergraduate experience and making it more student-centered and have individual tracks that let students specialize in areas that they were most interested in. I totally agree with that. And I do want to say that the vision statement from the academy says that they want to move towards requiring the master's degree to be something related in the future. But right now, that's not the case. So I yes. do think the academy is moving towards standardizing this process, but they're starting by saying basket weaving is acceptable. And in the future, near future, I don't know when, um, they might have more tighter requirements. Again, we'll have to keep our, we'll have to keep attention to how this progresses with these new regulations and restrictions, making it harder to become a dietitian for the new dietitians, the new round of registered dietitians. It's also um, in this new model, so that future model with the graduate level education plus, plus the experiential learning, it is not mandated right now that these programs accept students who had completed the DPD program. So it's possible that you could have a, a different degree undergrad and still be able to you know, advance into that next track, which would allow you to be a registered dietitian. Certain programs have certain prerequisites, and some of the prerequisites involve having verification from an undergrad program, but it's not universal across the board. So the game has completely changed in which, and, and how the education will flow in 2024. Yeah, really, really interesting. And thank you for, you know, sharing your thoughts on it. And is there anything else that you think would be important for us to add about 
whether it's this conversation, the future requirements. Uh, we've talked a lot about the model, uh, your experience with it, academia, and some of the, I guess, restrictions. What else do you think would be important to wrap up in this conversation? I think it kind of comes back to, I don't want to say the elders, but like folks like you and I, you know, having honest conversations and being transparent, you know, letting our students know the shortcomings of our field, as well as the positives of our field. I think we spend a lot of time as dietitians pointing the fingers, but there's so many positives of our field. And I wouldn't change my experience with dietetics for the world. Like I, you know, I do feel like it was a little bit more challenging than it had to, but I don't know. I learned a lot in the process. So I think the most important thing is for dietitians who are in mentor positions to have open dialogue and be available to students, you know, to answer questions that they have, because, you know, I just think that's critical. And I don't think, I don't know if we're doing, we're doing such an awesome job on that. You know what I mean? I think we have to be more receptive to paying it forward with the students. Yeah, absolutely. And um, the best suggestion with that, in my opinion, is to use social media to be able to invite them into conversations. And in my program, I work with students and show them how to get started as students and how to promote themselves and you know, get the ball rolling sooner than later when it comes to their private practice. Um, so that, you know, they can start making money now within their scope. And when they become registered dietitians, they can evolve and progress their practice. So that's my contribution towards students, as well as having resources for them, such as this podcast, my Instagram, YouTube, uh, you know, so that they can really understand what their colleagues from around the world are doing and how people can make money, how registered dietitians are doing it. And they can do it too. And they can do it when they're young and they can do it when they're students. So that's my contribution to the student conversation. What would you say are other ways or that we can help inspire students? I think all of those ways that you suggested are great, but I I think we, I think students need to know that they're supported. And I think that sometimes they're, it can be intimidating when you're looking at dietitians who might be in positions, you know, that are more advanced than you. But I personally feel like you know, asking the questions and not being afraid to ask those questions. Because I think at the end of the day, um, no dietitian, all dietitians understand what it's like to struggle and to be confused by, you know, what is out there. But I, I personally feel like, you know, that those conversations are important to have, but we also, they have to ask the questions, right? And so by having resources you know, available to them that, you know, break things down, but also get them thinking. Um, Because I personally think that podcasts are great and resources are great, but unless students are kind of asking like the hard questions, they're not necessarily always going to kind of make the connections that they want. So, you know, asking questions. I I think that that I love when people ask questions. I love DMs from students. Um, it makes me, I get so excited. Like it fires me up. So um, I think if I could give anyone advice to students, ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Like no question is silly, you know, and like we can generally at least direct you in the right direction. Love it. Thank you so much, Amy, for being a part of this conversation and sharing your expertise and opinions. And I, I'm really excited to air this. If you just remind everybody where to find you on social media. 
Sure. Yeah. So I am on Instagram at reimbursement underscore dietitian. Um, and then I have tons of free resources on my website as well, uh, reimbursementdietitian.com. If you identify as a female dietitian or student, apply to my coaching program. I'm accepting applications now. My clients go from zero to exceeding their sales goals. I save you time, energy, and I show you how to confidently become a dietitian boss. Thousands of your colleagues from around the world are doing it, and so can you. Apply on my website at libbyrothschild.com and check the show notes if you want that link right away.